we call it 21 days, we call it pray first because we're, we're getting in it and we chose to do 21 days because of what Daniel said in Daniel 10, verse 1 through 3. It says, at that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks was over. Daniel took three weeks and focused on denying his flesh. And we recognize that his fast wasn't all food. It was comfort foods. It was the sweets and the meats. And we were, we're not focused on the details of what did you choose to fast. Some people say sweets and meats. Some people say sweets, meats, and wheats. Other people have gotten into to choosing other things. Some people have chosen to fast Facebook or the nightly news or something that they recognize is a discomfort to them. And they have said, I am going to put my spiritual life first, and I'm going to focus on that. We have been uniting in prayer each day around a different focus. Uh, this morning, um, we're focusing on parents, and that's why we lifted them up in prayer as we opened the service. We're excited to do that. Um, last week, we talked about um, how we are made for two purposes, one of which is to worship and be in communion with the Lord. The second is to have dominion on the earth, and that the one of the reasons that we pray is to exercise that dominion. We aren't praying to inform God of what is going on in our life because the Bible tells us he knows. We are praying because God has given us the authority. So when we speak, then the legal right for his will to be done on earth becomes present. We will, we will discuss this some other time, but we, the world as it functions is a, a, there is a legal framework that rules over the supernatural, which is this world. And we declare things. Our dominion is declared. We aren't informing God. We are empowering his will to be done because the authority was given to us. So we got started last week talking about different kinds of prayer. Because not all prayer is the same, just like not all sports are the same. And there are different guidelines and rules to different games. Last week we were talking about soccer versus hockey versus basketball. And you can't play basketball with soccer rules. Soccer says you can't touch the ball with your hands. Imagine trying to make a basket with your feet. Or, or, or dribble the soccer ball out on the, the, the field. It doesn't work. And there are many different types of, of prayer. We talked about the prayer of faith, which declares something that is God's will to be so. That uses our dominion and makes what God desires happen on earth. We talked about the prayer of consecration, how Jesus said, not my will, but your be will be done. And he said, if it be your will, and how if we are trying to speak a prayer of faith and we're using the phrase, if it be thy will, because we don't know, then that's, that's us trying to make a basket with our feet. We're using football rules to try to play the game of basketball. And when we apply 
the way that Jesus prayed a prayer of consecration to the way that we try to make a declaration of faith, it gets messed up. When we are unclear about what God desires, he says, he tells us to go in and know his will. So this is all from last week, so go catch that up. Um, we talked about, and so I'm just bringing us up to today. We talked about the prayer of commitment. We talked about the prayer of worship. We talked about the prayer of agreement. And um, we finished off with, with that prayer of agreement. Today, we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 14 through 15. It says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. But my mind is unfruitful. What should I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. We knew this was coming. If we're going to talk about the different types of prayer, we cannot skip over praying in tongues. The Bible is clear that there is something called the prayer in the spirit. But that is not the only kind of prayer. Again, we, we tend to have this idea that prayer is prayer. That all prayer is the same, that all prayer functions the same, but it doesn't. And Paul here is talking to us about this, and he says, hey, there, there is a prayer in the Spirit where I am praying and my mind is unfruitful. Because it is my spirit praying. I want to encourage us. There are those of us in the Christian world who in our heads recognize that we exist as a spirit. But in our daily walk, we do not treat our spirit as if it exists at all. Recognizing you have a spirit. And we're going to get it. God speaks. The Bible says that the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. What does that mean? When the Lord wants to illuminate something in your life, he speaks to your spirit. That is where. Let me just throw this out there. Your spirit knows things that your mind is unaware of. You are a spirit. And your spirit knows things that your mind is unaware of. God speaks to your heart. And you, when, when then your heart, your spirit, then informs your mind. And that is, is part of what learning to hear from the Lord is about. But if we exist as both spirit and flesh, and we have a spirit, we live in a body and we have a, a soul or a mind, then there is a realm, there is a type of prayer where my spirit is communicating directly with God. That is what praying in tongues is. It is my spirit praying directly to the Lord. Acts 2.4 says, And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
I want to focus on the word enable. If, if I was to enable you to do something, how many of you would picture me forcing you to do it? If I enable you, what does that mean? If I enable you, that means I give you the tools required. I remove the barriers. But who does it? Who, who is doing the act? I am. You are. If I have enabled you, then it's your job to, to, to accomplish it, but I have simply given you the tools and removed the barriers. Romans chapter 8, 26 through 27 says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, for the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance to the will of God. I cannot tell you how many times someone says, pray for me. You know, the, I'll, I'll, I'll get a text, I'll get a phone call, uh, something, and someone says, hey, pastor, would you pray for my cousin, my sister, my daughter, my son, me? And they tell me in about 30 seconds, you know, what to pray for. So-and-so's in the hospital. Um, we're having marriage trouble. There, there's, there's an issue in our... That's it. I get 30 seconds of information. I don't know what to pray. What do I do? The Bible, there is a type of prayer where I am not relying on my understanding, but on the understanding of the Spirit to pray the will of God for that situation. So I take what I know, what I've been told, and I begin to pray, just like Paul said. Hey, what do I do? I pray with my understanding, but then I also pray in the Spirit. So I will pray, and I will say, Lord, I lift this person up, and I just declare healing for their body and, and whatever that situation. Well, I don't understand that full situation. So then after I have exhausted what I understand, then I begin to pray in the Spirit. And sometimes, that's it. Other times, as I pray in the Spirit, ideas come to my mind about, hey, I could, should pray about this or that or some aspect that previously had not occurred to me. You know what I believe that is? I believe that is my Spirit informing my mind about something that the Lord has shared with my spirit. And so I will pray for a moment in tongues, and then I'll go back and I'll declare that concept, that idea that, that occurred to me after praying in spirit. Okay, Lord, I pray for their kidneys. I pray for whatever. I ask you, to come against this, I pray for godly friends for that person. I pray for what, whatever it is. And then when I've exhausted my understanding, I just switch back. The Bible says in verse 27, 
It says because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I don't always know every aspect of God's will. How many of you agree? But when we pray in the Spirit, we know we are praying the perfect will of God. Now, the Bible talks about baptism in water, and the Bible talks about baptism in the Holy Spirit. And it talks about the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we see over and over in Scripture how people were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, and they spoke with other tongues. Now, again, it says that we are enabled by the Holy Spirit. One of, I believe, one of the reasons that speaking in tongues is so mysterious in the church is because there is a misconception out there that it is the Holy Spirit who forces me to pray in tongues. So, people read in Scripture, they see there is a baptism, there is a, a prayer language that exists, they say, I want that. They pray, and then they wait. And there's an entire doctrine about tarrying for the Holy Spirit. And they wait. There's only one time in Scripture when they waited, and that was for the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Every time after that, we don't see this waiting. But there's an entire doctrine come, and they wait. And what are they waiting for? They're waiting for the Holy Spirit to force them. They're expecting to be, for lack of a better word, possessed and forced to pray in tongues. And then when it doesn't happen, they conclude, I didn't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Or that prayer language, I wasn't given a prayer language. God addresses the, in, in Scripture it says, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4, it says, Anyone who speaks in tongues edifies themselves, but one who prophesies edifies the church. The other thing I want to point out about this before I, I get to the, this, the next verse in Luke 11 is that Praying in tongues edifies you. It builds your spirit, man. When your spirit is praying God's will directly with God, then you are edifying. And Paul clarifies. He says, this is something for you. Not this is something for everybody else. He says, when you Speak with your understanding when you prophesy, when you declare things in an understood tongue to others. That's what edifies others. We don't come together as a church to hear each other pray in tongues. That doesn't mean we don't pray in tongues. But the purpose of tongues is for each of us personally to grow and to strengthen 
our, and, and to speak God's will into whatever situation. There is a time when tongues is for others, and that's when it's accompanied by an interpretation. Now, that isn't something that we see every person doing. That's listed among some other listed gifts. But the actual Holy Spirit, this is what the Bible says about it. Luke chapter 11, 11 through 12. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Now, throughout Scripture, we can look at symbolism. Snakes and scorpions, what do you think that they symbolize? Just guessing. Evil. They actually symbolize evil spirits. So, the scorpion representing... Many people have said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm worried. If I seek the Holy Spirit, and if I seek that... What if I get something else? What if it's not real? This is what God says. He says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? This is God's promise. He says, just like an earthly father, if his child comes to him and says, hey, could I have an egg, nourishment, something healthy, what I desire and need, is he going to give him a scorpion? He's saying, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, you are guaranteed by God himself to receive exactly what you asked for, which is the Holy Spirit. God protect. This is the way I, I see this scripture right. God protects that request with a promise. We do not need to fear that when I begin to speak, why are we so afraid to speak out in the, 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 the language of tongues that, that God gives us, that in he enables us? We're so afraid because we're afraid it's going to be insincere, it's going to be wrong, it's going to be some, something evil. So we don't do anything. We wait thinking that God is going to come down and force me. But the Bible doesn't say that the Spirit possessed them and forced them. No, it says the Spirit enabled them. Gave, I have talked to so many people who asked for the baptism in the Holy Spirit, they were prayed for. Here's what I know. I know with as much certainty that they received salvation when they asked forgiveness. I know they received the Holy Spirit when they asked for the Holy Spirit. I know this. Why? Because God is not a liar. But they wonder and think, was, do, do I, does my spirit have the ability to pray directly with God? Well, yes. I don't know. No, it is a problem. There, there is so much confusion around that. I was not planning to spend as much time on this as we are right now, but I think this is, this is important for today. I believe this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do and talk about today, is we, as a Christian body, 
need to trust God's promise. I want to ask just a moment, how many of you have asked for the Holy Spirit, received the baptism in the Holy Spirit? I don't want to create an environment of showing off, but I want to ask how many of you pray in tongues? If you didn't raise your hand, just notice. And I want you to understand something. Nobody whose hand went up is better in God's eyes than you. Not one. God promised you the same thing that he promised them. If you're watching online and the only person you saw when their hands went up was me, there were a lot of hands. And none of them were better than anybody else. It is God's promise. Let's read that verse again. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I am going to close today's service with an invitation to anybody who wants to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to do so. Right? That I just want you to think on that, be ready, be thinking, and we'll continue on. Another type of prayer is united prayer. Acts chapter 4 Verse 23, it says, And on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. In verse 28, it says, Now the Lord considered their threats and enable your servants to speak to the, your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I want to point out that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not just about a prayer language, that's a bonus. I remember, I remember as a little kid, does anybody know who Gospel Bill is? Did that mean, <laughs> like two old school families here know who Gospel Bill is. In the, in the 80s, Willie George, who is now a pastor of Church on the Move in Tulsa, Oklahoma, senior pastor, he was a youth minister, a children's minister, and he used to have a character in, in Christian stories that he would do that was a, a, a gospel bill. And he would say it this way. He would tell the story of Peter and how we remember Peter was so afraid to stand up that three times in a row in tiny little groups, he denied Christ. Remember that? He's standing around a campfire. Someone brings it up. Say, hey, you're from Galilee. Are you with Jesus? No, no, I don't even know who he is. He was afraid. Then Jesus dies on the cross. He raises from the dead. He speaks to the disciples. He says, go to Jerusalem, wait 
for the Holy Spirit. They spend 40 days, then there's the upper room, in comes the baptism, the first occasion of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Peter begins to speak in tongues, and then the Bible says that he went out before the crowds, and we don't know how big the crowds were, except that 3,000 people became disciples that day. So it was more than 3,000. And Peter gets up there and he just starts preaching to all of them. The same Peter who was afraid to talk to five or six people. And this is what Willie George said. He said, the Holy Spirit, and he was, this is kids ministry, so how many of you can picture a rubber chicken? He would take a, a dummy or a mannequin or, or sometimes like a kid to lay down and he'd have that, that chicken hidden. And he'd come in and act like he was the Holy Spirit and he would reach down and he'd pull out that rubber chicken and he would say, the Holy Spirit takes the chicken out of you. <laughs> Peter was emboldened by the Holy Spirit. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not just about a prayer language. A prayer language is a bonus. It is part of what we see scripturally over and over as part of it. But there is so much more with having the Spirit. The Bible says he has come on you, but he will come upon you. Having the Spirit with you and upon you, that is what the Bible says. It says that they spoke the word. I'm going to go back to verse 31. It says, and after they prayed, the place where they, the meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. Boldly. How many of you desire to speak God's word boldly? Then, as Gospel Bill would say, the Holy Spirit will take the chicken out of you. Next prayer, the prayer of supplication. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. We read last week the same, another verse, Ephesians chapter 6, 18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayer. Again, Paul is pointing out there, are so, there is more than just one kind of prayer. And, and there's nothing wrong with the explanation that prayer is talking to God. I agree with that. Just like sports is playing a game in an active way. But there are so many different kinds of prayer. And each different type of prayer accomplishes different things, and it accomplishes them through different expressions on our part. Sometimes we are asking God, what is it that you want? God, I, I consecrate myself to you. I don't want my will to be done. I want your to be done, will to be done. And if this is your will, well, then I'll do this. And if this be your will, then that. Other times, we are declaring God's will to be done in the earth. We aren't wondering, well, you know, I know your scripture says that this is your will, but if you happen to want it again this time. No, we are declaring God's will. 
the, all the different types of prayer. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 2 says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Notice it's a list. He doesn't just say, hey, I want you to pray for people, but I want you to intercede for them. I want you to give thanks. He's talking about different types of prayer. Matthew 9, 38. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Sometimes we are to ask of God. There is the prayer of supplication. It's interesting. I find it so interesting from an evangelism, just talking about evangelism. God did not say, pray that unsaved people would get saved. He said, pray that workers, harvesters, would go out into the harvest. He says, pray that workers would go out there. That is so interesting to me that as we pray that prayer, he wants us to focus on sending people. And whenever I think about them being sent, I think about what Isaiah said. He said, here am I, Lord. Send me. Intercessory prayer. Psalms chapter 106, verse 23 says, So he said he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to keep his wrath from destroying them. Intercessory prayer. Moses stood on behalf of the Israelites between them and judgment. He got in between and said, God, on their behalf. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 32, verse 14, it says, And the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. He stood in between and prayed. He interceded. It's interesting. Job is the oldest book in the Bible. We know that Genesis tells the oldest story. It talks about what happened with Adam and Eve. We recognize Adam and Eve didn't write Genesis. You know that. Moses wrote Genesis by the divine inspiration of the Lord. But the oldest scriptural writing that we have is Job. The Bible is written in increasing revelation. So we learn, we start with the basics, and then we keep adding to it as we go along. That's why the doctrine in Job is the most uh, basic. Good God, bad devil. That's literally what Job is trying to figure out. There is a God. I need to, I need to discover how to be right with him. Look what he says in chapter 9, verse 23. For God is not a mere man as I am, that I may answer him, that we may go to court and judgment together. 
There is no arbiter between us who can lay his hand upon us both. Oh, I would that there were. What is Job saying? He says, God is God and I am man and we are not the same. And oh, how I wish there was someone between God and I who could be a bridge between the two of us. Someone who could touch me as a man and touch God as God. Who is that? Jesus. This is Job who saw the problem that God was in the process of solving. There was no arbitrator. God saw this problem. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 6 says, He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm, re arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. 1 Timothy chapter 2. God saw that there was a problem. There was no one to intervene. So he intervened. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. By the New Testament, we have the answer to Job's question. Job says, I want someone to be the intermediator between me and God. There needs to be someone. And that is Jesus. I want to say that prayer, the different types of prayer, often work together like fingers on a hand. As we said before, Paul describes it. He says, you know what? I pray with, with my understanding, then I pray in the Spirit. Sometimes I he, he requests that we pray for people with intercession, that we pray giving thanks. We pray. He says that prayer has so many different beautiful facets. I want to look at a couple of prayers that already appear in their completeness in Scripture. And I want to see what stands out as we read these verses. Ephesians chapter 1, 17 through 19. Paul is describing his prayer. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He, he prays that we will be given what? Wisdom and revelation, that we would see and understand so that you may know him better. Now, before I continue, when we think of a prayer, when, I, when we think of something that, you know, someone says, hey, pray for me. When I was a kid and someone said, pray for me, you know what I do? Lord, I just pray that you would help them, that you would give them this and give them that. And, and we think about their physical needs. And we say, hey, I'm going to pray that they get stuff. Right? 
I mean, that's the way my mind thought in my childish simplicity was, well, if I'm praying for someone, then I am praying things into their life. That is a type of prayer, and there are moments when that may be appropriate, but let's look and compare this prayer to that one. I pray that you would have, the Spirit would give you wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So again, he's praying for knowledge, understanding, and enlightenment. In order that you may know, and I get a theme in here, knowledge, enlightenment, wisdom, revelation, knowing him better, your heart is enlightened, that you may know the hope which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Instead of saying, Lord, I pray that you would make that person rich, he says, I pray that you would enlighten them in order that they may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe the power is the same as the mighty strength. He says, instead of saying, I pray that you would make them rich, he says, I pray that you would help them to see how rich they are. He says, he prayed not that stuff would arrive, but realization of what we already have would come. He says, I want you to pray that you would see and know and understand God's love for you and his power that's already in you. The way I see it, it's kind of like somebody who is living in poverty and you come to them and instead of trying to give them money, you come to them and say, hey, didn't you know that there was a, an insurance policy and you already have money in the bank? Go use it. That's the way that Paul is praying. He's not praying, give them something they don't have. He's saying, I pray that they would understand what they have. I pray that they would understand who you are and how your power and riches and the inheritance that you've given them applies in their life. It's interesting, he doesn't ask for God to do something for them, but that they would realize what God has already done. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, but he was pierced. Excuse me, pierced for, I got to read that in the right translation, otherwise I say it if you ever notice me say something different than what's up there, it's because I memorized it in the wrong translation and I've got it up here. But anyway, so he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Jubilee translation says it this way. But he was wounded for our rebellions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was... It, was is past tense upon him and by his stripes healing was provided for us we're not just now getting healing that healing is already provided for us 
The prayer isn't, please, God, would you please do something? No, the prayer is, God, let us understand and acknowledge and walk in what you have already done for us. Let's go to the next verse, Ephesians chapter 3, 6 through 19. This is another prayer. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through the Holy, his spirit in your being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all God's holy people. All right, here we went. He, he was praying for power. What does that power do? It's the power to grasp, to comprehend again. Again, he's praying that you would understand what you have. He says, to grasp how wide and long and how deep and high is the love of Christ. And to know, again, he's praying that we would understand and know something. That to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Again, in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, he prays. And he says, and this is my prayer that you may love, that your love may abound more in knowledge again. He keeps praying that we would understand the depth of insight so that you may be able to discern. What is discernment? It's understanding again. Paul, instead of praying down blessings on us, is praying that our understanding would expand our discernment, our wisdom, our insight would expand and realize, be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Same thing again, Colossians 1, 9 through 12 is another prayer. And if you read that one, you're going to see a similar thing. He prays for knowledge. He prays that we understand. Man, prayer is powerful. And I am excited that we as a church are launching the year with prayer. Because I believe there is no better foundation for our families and for this church body. How many of you agree with me? Amen. Let's just pray. Lord, I pray that you would enlighten each and every one of us about your promises, your gifts, your salvation, healing, blessing, everything that you have accomplished for us. Lord, I pray that you would grow our understanding, enlightenment, and awareness of that. Lord, I pray that we in this year coming forward would walk in that which you have already provided for us. Lord, we pray for understanding. We pray that your spirit would enlighten our spirits regarding what you have done for us. I pray that we would recognize and understand the depth 
the width and the height of your love for us, that we would come to understand the inheritance your word says is ours as your children. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.